Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Sarah Poynton Ryan, founder of Property Sourcing Hub, a company that helps others put their money to work. Sarah, hello. Hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think for me, Matthew, leadership and the word leader is not necessarily somebody who sits at the top of a food chain directing or giving um, instructions, but somebody that actually wants to drive a culture through a business or through a team um, that allows people to feel empowered, that they're contributing something positive to that environment. So for me, um, leadership is really about leading from the front, but bringing people with you alongside you. Um, In our business, it's very much about the uh, inclusive um, and quite diverse culture that we're creating. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm at the front of that and I'm leading that, but I want that. I want everybody in the business to feel empowered that they're contributing to the success of the business. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I think for me, I'm quite involved. You know, I, I I have a really good relationship with everybody in our business from a from an internal perspective and an external perspective as well. Um, we empowerment is definitely something that's important to me. I think people are capable of more than they give themselves credit for. Um, so as I as I'm running my business at any point, uh, there's space to make mistakes. There's space to suggest improvements. Um, I think for me, my leadership style is very much an inclusive one. Um, I enjoy being surrounded by people that are actually a little bit better than I am at certain aspects of the business because, um, you know, if everybody can bring their A-game and everybody can contribute something super positive, actually the business grows faster than if I try to always be my way or no way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you're first starting out in the working world. Was there any particular uh, individual or influence that formed the way that you lead today? Um, I think I've had lots of different influences over the years. You know, um, in my, I've, I've been in sales and marketing pretty much my whole working life. Um, and before I was, before I worked for myself, I worked in quite uh, corporate, large corporate global businesses. Um, I had lots of leaders, or maybe leaders is the wrong word. I had lots of bosses. Um, who taught me every way I didn't want to run a business. Um, I learned lots of ways that I didn't want to be as a leader when I was in employment and when I was in the corporate world. Um, you know, I, can, I, I don't, for me, I really struggled with um, wearing a suit and having a certain coloured hair in, in the corporate world. Um, you know, I dyed my hair red once and I, I was sent home. I wasn't allowed to have uh, red hair, although it didn't stop me doing my job. And being very good at my job, it didn't fit with the, the the rules. I don't think that's necessarily leadership. I think that's just that's more of a dictatorship. Um, so for me, I learned a lot from the corporate space how not to run, a, how not to lead a team. Um, since being in the more entrepreneurial space, I have multiple mentors. Um, I've got lots of very good friends who run very large businesses, and I think my influence actually as a leader and the influence I take is from lots of different places. Um, I wouldn't be able to say that there's one specific person. Um, there are some absolutely fantastic uh, people that I would encourage 
listeners to follow people like Simon Sinek and his approach to leadership. I think he's an incredible guy. Um, but then, you know, there's, I've, I've taken a lot of examples from lots of different people over the years. And of course, we tend to forget that even negative influences can result in net positives, um, as you were saying. Now, of course, one of the uh, main points of running a business or leading a team is that you're dealing with fallible human beings who sometimes aren't always at their best or have issues with each other. Um, Mm -hmm. In your uh, own workspace, how do you deal with conflict? I think... um it's important to be open and transparent. I think uh, honesty is always the best policy. Uh, and generally speaking, I encourage a, an environment um, amongst my team and with me directly. You know, I openly say to my team all of the time, I want you to manage upwardly. If you think there's a way that we can improve, if you think there's a, something we could be doing differently or better, then we, we as a team need to know about it so we can contribute the best version of the business that we can um you know we have a responsibility to our clients to be the best version of our business that we possibly can be and that then comes back to how the team interacts with each other how the team interacts with our clients so for me i think when dealing with conflict like you say human beings are human beings they're all gonna everybody's got their own opinion um, and everybody's got their own um sort of vision of what the world should look like and the way that the business should look um, but I think what's really important when you, there is a, a degree of conflict or there's a challenge in the business is that everybody's got space for their voice to be heard. And I think when you sit and you really listen to the team and how they're contributing and you know the opinions they've got, when you have that really open forum for conversation and empowerment, what happens is there tends to be less conflict because everybody's respectful of each other. Um, we, you know, we don't have a very hierarchical setup in my business. Um, it's very much around, you know, open conversation. And I think that helps to reduce the amount of conflict that takes place. And um, that's not to say that there isn't any, because naturally there, there sometimes is and hard decisions have to be made. Um, but I think sitting down and having open and honest conversations really helps to reduce that as best as possible. Now, of course, any business uh, that needs to thrive on in the future will have to uh, raise up the next generation of emerging leaders. What is your advice to uh, to those individuals? What's my advice to emerging leaders? To emerging leaders, yes. Yeah. Um, be open to not letting your ego get in the way, I think is the best bit of advice that I can give. Um when you are running a business, it is it is hard. It's hard every day. It's different. It changes. It evolves. The landscape moves. The market shifts. Things change. What happens in business is because you are an entrepreneur or you're a leader, you're you're you're, you're very responsible for whatever's happening in an organisation or in a business. What tends to happen is you let your ego get in the way of being able to make to, to fail quickly. And one of the lessons I've learned along the way is that I've definitely had situations that have occurred that if I'd have admitted to myself that I'd got it wrong sooner, it would have been much less painful in terms of my personal situation, but also the business. So I think as an emerging leader, whether you're in a corporate space or whether you're in an entrepreneurial space, I think it's really important to remember that it's business and it's not personal and to not let your ego get in the way of good decisions. You know, if you recruit the wrong person and you know you recruit the wrong person, don't leave it six months before you get rid of them because you feel like you're admitting that you've got it wrong. 
fail quickly, remove them from the business or put them into a different role. Um, but yeah, don't let your ego get in the way of admitting that maybe you got it wrong. Um, and that you, because when you make a mistake, you learn way more than you ever could getting it right all the time. So just accept that sometimes it goes wrong um, and that it's business and it's not personal um, and make quick decisions, fail quickly and move on and, and, and continue to build your business or build your team in a positive way. Now, as you say, um, leadership begins at recruitment. Uh, what are the telltale signs that you look in uh, a new recruit? When I recruit, um, I look for a few different things. One, I think enthusiasm. Enthusiasm for life, curiosity for life, um, I think is really important. You know, we, we're a very high energy business and I'm a very high energy leader. Uh, I do a lot of, our business has a lot of different parts to it, a lot of different moving parts to it. We're very service led and we generally work with other entrepreneurial type people. So we serve those people because they're investors, uh, people that are building portfolios, people that want to generate larger businesses. Um, so for us, really the cultural fit is something that comes for me first. Um, it, I'm, um, I'm quite a flexible boss, if you like. You know, we don't have fixed working hours in our business. We don't have a, a nine to five culture. It's not really how I work. And it's not where I'm at my best. So when we're recruiting, we try to find people that fit from a cultural perspective into into what we have here. Um, we have a very um, we have an approach where it's important that you're just happy to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in. So for us, you know, if somebody said to me, "Well, it's not really my job to empty the bin, even though it's overflowing," for me, that's not going to fit this culture. For me, we're all a team and we're all in this together, and so everybody should be happy to kind of get stuck in. So we, you know, I'm looking for people at the recruitment stage that are excited and enthusiastic about getting involved in the culture and working towards the greater good of the team. Um, I think as well, the, you know, the obvious things like somebody that is going to turn up on time, somebody that's going to have the interest of the business at the heart of everything that they do and um, the interest of our clients at the heart of everything they do. I think that's also really important. Um, but I think a lot of it really, you know, for me, whether you turn up to an interview in a suit or you turn up to an interview in ripped jeans and trainers, if you can do the job and you're enthusiastic about it and you're going to give everything you've got to make a contribute something positive to the business, then you're the person for me. You know, turning up in a suit and a tie doesn't necessarily mean that you could do the job. It's you as the person that I find to be the most important aspect of recruitment. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, uh, what does next 12 months have in store for Property Sourcing Hub? So for us, the next 12 months is really exciting. We, we're working towards a target of contributing 250 homes in the next 10 years to our local market. Um, we work a lot in the um, space of, re of reducing homelessness. So we're actively trying to um, contribute homes into the marketplace to put people into safe and comfortable beds at a point in the um, country where we have a bit of a housing issue. So for us, the next 12 months is going to be about acquiring assets to house uh, people that otherwise wouldn't be able to be in their own homes and working with uh, property investors to help them build portfolios that also contribute safe and comfortable beds into the marketplace. So we're very, very excited about the next 12 months. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to speaking with you again sometime in the near Thank future. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat with you guys. Thank you. 
That was Sarah Point and Ryan, founder of Property Sourcing Hub. And now if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and 
becoming alien from the rest of the world. Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an aging population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. I completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team 
to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilize, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're know you a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment That's very about good Sheffield United in the Premier League because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0 then you lose five nil at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, say? I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle 
not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for mm. a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also I should add that is how uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Casson especially is that um, it takes and talks to people but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they they. It's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with 
The development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in two thousand and fifteen to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.